I'll tell you that I have actually personally learned more and become a better writer from negative literary criticism than I have from the gushing, which is not to say that the negative literary criticism doesn't hurt the author. So please also be gentle. African stories that don't fit a narrative that mainstream publishing wants to publish. Yes, and it's just a good thing to know like what the reality is going into self-publishing. But the fact is, logistics continues to be our biggest issue. Even that, I find it an artificial issue still. There's something fundamentally amiss about how that distribution works. Hello and welcome to the Meta Podcast. A podcast dedicated to bringing you live recordings from Meta events covering a wide range of multidisciplinary topics converging at the intersection of innovation in the African continent. This episode is brought to you by Hivos East Africa, a humanist organization that strives for a free, fair, and sustainable world. In this edition of the Women in series, we discussed a couple of topics around literature from writing during the pandemic, learning from literary foremothers, finding literary communities, and the publishing scene in Kenya. We hope you enjoy this episode. The speakers include... Zuki Swawana, Alexis Steye, and Makena Maganjo, who are all authors. The conversation was then moderated by Ndinda Kiyoko, a fellow writer and filmmaker. Most thought leadership conversations have been plagued by men. The Women in series challenges the status quo by providing a platform for women to talk about their experiences and celebrate the great strides that have been made by women over the years. Past events include women in leadership, social impact, technology, energy, talent, entertainment, among many others. To start us off, I'm curious how the pandemic has kind of shifted or influenced your practice as writers. You're all writers working in different, you know, uh, forms. Uh, Has it changed the way you approach writing, the forms that you're working with, the subjects that are your playground? Uh, Maybe, uh, Zukiso, you could start us off. I wouldn't say it really has. I have uh, continued writing. I have continued um, creating literary communities. And um, yeah, I, in fact, I think it gave me like a certain ability to do things that I hadn't been doing before. So for instance, uh, the pandemic gave me a chance to create Afro-Lit Sun Frontiers and um, virtually yours. So yeah, it's business as usual. Uh-huh. Alexis, I'm so jealous of that, Zuki, so I'm very jealous of that. <laughs> uh, but we'll come back to that, uh, to Alexis. Yes, I mean, I think for me, across both reading, writing and consuming, whether that's film um, or training manuals for your puppies, uh, I think everything is much slower, reading much slower, um, which I, I think I'm grateful for. I think, you know, if you make a practice of editing and also doing academic writing, your, your, your main superpower is speed reading. So I think in the last year, I've been trying to read slower and I appreciate that. Initially, it was by force. I just could not focus on any pages. And then initially, I started to enjoy letting myself daydream. With writing, I think initially at the start of the pandemic, I felt a lot of pressure to write more, write, be more productive. I think everyone felt a little bit of that pressure. And I just could not bring myself to write anything that was a nonfiction. And it wasn't very good anyway. Um, and then I think towards the latter half, and I think till today, 
a bit more gentleness with how I approach that, a bit more daring because I'm not really writing to submit anywhere because I think I gave myself that, like, here's a permission slip. So I, I do, now I write things that I wouldn't have time to write write about Bougainvillea and I read about them and, and I, I feel less pressure to send it to something and make it be a useful piece of work, which maybe might be counterintuitive to some people's experience, but that's where I am right now. But thank you, Alexis. I'm just curious, just as a follow-up question about pressure, you mentioned pressure and I wonder where this pressure was coming from, this pressure to produce something during the pandemic. Where was it coming from? I think, um, I wonder if Carrie's on this call, but we were laughing about how every, there were lots of new journals being created. And then everywhere you would see, just even from established uh, places, they'd say, this is more than ever the time for writing. This is more than ever for the time for art. And I think if you're also a maker that says to you, oh, at least I was hearing it say to me, like, you should also be making, this is a time to, to contribute to the discourse, as it were. And I just was not there. I was not the people learning how to make sourdough. I was not no I mostly just left sometimes I read and that I, I did feel like I almost a bit of a letdown in the beginning and I think trying to get to a place where we're all on a different we're having different processes and that's almost absolutely fine. Uh, McKenna? Um, so I think I had the same experience with Alexis um, with the whole feeling uh, just this pressure to write also from the fact that Taylor Swift released how many albums in the last year? <laughs> Too many. I mean, they're amazing. But like, you just kind of feel like, oh God, like I'm not measuring up. And I'm uh, just, my process hasn't changed since the pandemic began. I basically work on um, uh, a book for a few months and then I put it down and then I kind of get back to it. And so in that regard, like right now I'm in a fallow period. I'm not really doing anything um, with regards to writing and so that's not changed and I'm I felt the pressure too but I also um, similar, similar to Alexis kind of give myself that um, permission to just keep doing what was working for me and also not to feel like I had to write stuff that needed to be sent out and I feel like my uh, creativity has probably um, improve from that like I just feel ready now like to go back to writing because I've just spent um, quite a bit of time not writing and just reading and enjoying that and luxuriating in that. So this series celebrates women and the achievements of women and um, when uh, Whitney in in invited me to um, moderate this session I was thinking about our literary foremothers and kind of just uh, wondering who, which women in the African literary space or just in Kenya have been very influential to my work. And uh, every time somebody asks that question, I always think of Mariama Bahu's book, Salonga Letter. You know, I remember the first time I read it. I, I remember how I responded to it. And I also remember uh, Yvonne Vera. And I'm wondering if you could share with us just who are your literary foremothers? I don't know if there's a better word to use for that and why, you know, they've been influential in your work. Uh, perhaps, Alexis, you could start us off. Yes, I, I love that question, Dindam, because I think a few years ago, maybe five or six or seven now, I think I wrote for Africa as a Country saying, um, 
a little bit of a pushback for studying from studying English literature, which of course is often British American and then later on more Caribbean. Um, and then when there are African writers, it's the ones you know, Gogi, Chin, Tebe. And then I did some work, which as I said, some of my work is data science. I compiled this book list of maybe I think I got to at least 250 or 500, actually maybe 500 women writers across the continent. Um, and then I, that year and the year that followed, I read only women. And I, I, I can't say I quite recovered from that experience because one, I was embarrassed that there were so many writers that I didn't know. And then secondly, I thought, oh, how silly of me only saying John Keats, such an inspiration when they're often much more talented that seemed rude, <laughs> but at least much more talented in the way that is legible to me, writers um, that I could have been reading. All of that is a long preamble to say, I love Ashia Jabbar who, who died recently and I was very sad about. I love Yvonne, um, our Yvonne, and um, me being shamelessly claiming Yvonne um, and her writing has been really powerful for me. Um, I've been reading, I mean, I love Bessie Head. I think when I was a kid, I, I read a lot of Bessie Head and that meant a lot to me. I really like Okwiri. I think when people say foremothers, it has to be someone who's much older or dead. But to me, it's like peers that are writing now in very exciting ways. I love Michelle. Everyone knows I'm deeply obsessed with Michelle Anguanyi's poetry. I love Idza and the work that she's doing. Of course, I've read your work. You know that. We've talked about that. Um, and so I, I think I, lately, the last three or four years, I've been finding a lot more excitement and inspiration from fellow writers. So Sheila Chukuluze is a Nigerian playwright, writer, also peer, just doing some really exciting work. Kechi Nomu, who's who, um, one of the co-founders of Konesham Trumi, which is a poetry press in Nigeria, is also absurdly, obscenely like talented. So these are the folks that I'm thinking with and I'm really enjoying, um, especially the ones that we're alive at the same time. Um, I think that's one of the greatest gifts, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that, Alexis. Uh, Zukiso. Uh, am I allowed to say all my favorite literary formats are in my WhatsApp? <laughs> but well, how lucky of you. How lucky of you. Paraphrase. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not very much for, for, for literary formats. I think I learned from everybody across the age group. So I have learned from, from people who came after me, who started writing uh, after me. I um, People like Natasha Omokori on Banda from Zambia, for instance. I have learned from my contemporaries like Beata Murray from Rwanda. I have learned from um, Hemley Boom from Cameroon. I have learned from um, Mariama Ba, obviously, and uh, older people like uh, Amat Aidu, who is probably the person who is perhaps most like me. She used to live in Kenya. She has stayed in Zim, is back in Ghana, you know, and, and she just considers the whole continent her home. So I like that. Um, yeah. So, so pretty much, yeah, a whole lot of people, Angela Makolwa, you know, a whole bunch of people like have, have shaped my writing, you know, even the bad writers, by the way, because um, badly written prose teaches me how not to write and well-written prose teaches me what to aspire to. Uh, McKenna. Um, so it's also a case of um, my peers more than literary foremothers. Uh, and for me, two in particular, Yosa Daily Ward and Western Shire. And I remember I was about 18 
when I discovered Yesa, I know wasn't sure because she used to have a Tumblr um, page where she posted. And let me tell you, in the sea of really crap poetry, mine included, which I hope no one will ever see, I remember seeing this woman's writing and being like, oh my God, there's this person who looks like, it just looks like me, um, is writing stuff that I can relate to. And then seeing her career go from Tumblr to, um, I mean, um, writing for Beyonce's albums. And uh, Yersa Daily Ward with um, Bone was her first collection and that was self-published. So shout out to self-published people. And I remember um, when I started writing, I feel like when I discovered them is when I first thought to myself, oh, okay, maybe I want to write. Like reading their work made me feel like I wanted to write. I didn't feel like I could do a good job, but it just made me feel like, oh, I want to you know, pick a pen and write. And it led to some really horrible poetry and then slowly um, kind of formed my own uh, style of writing. But yeah, it's those two women. And then um, someone I'm obsessed with and I talk about all the time and I feel like I can't not talk about her right now is Ayubami Adebayo. Um, I mean, I said it, like there's no more to say. Um, her writing, though I just, again, I read, um, when I was writing my book, um, I kept reading her book over and over um, again, um, just because I love the way she wrote and I wanted to, I wanted to write the way she wrote. So, yeah. I, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about literary friendships and literary communities and how important they've been to your work. Uh, and maybe we are repeating ourselves, you know, in this question. But I wonder if Zakisa, you could talk a little bit about that, how literary communities and friendships have been useful to the work that you've been doing. Literary community is actually very important to me. Uh, and I always tell up and coming writers that, you know, if you don't create communities, if you don't become part of a community, the biggest advertisers any writer has is other writers. I have, I think my books have become known because other writers have talked about them or written about them or whatever. So it's very important to, to be generous and read other writers, but it's also important to uh, read other writers. And McKenna, you went really helpful uh, by not reprinting South Bee's Finest because I wanted to get so many people from South Bee copies and it's hilarious. So thank you for it. But um, yeah, please do a reprint. Uh, so, so literary communities are very important and um, we, um, you know, I, I seriously would not have been able to do something like Afro-Lits and Frontiers last year if it hadn't been for people who were my writer friends and, you know, you can't just go to people and say, oh, by the way, can, can we do this? And you're not going to get paid, but we're going to have fun, you know, uh, because writing is work and talking about writing is work. Uh, but when you've created that rapport with people, it makes it so much easier to be able to, uh, you know, say, hey, I'm calling in a favor as a friend, you know, and you can call in a favor later. So, um, and, 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 and I've had this from way back when I was, when I was staying in SA when my first book came out. And um, yeah, and, and I think it's, I think it's important. Uh, Alexis, uh, I know you're very big on creating, like Zukisa, you're very big on creating literary communities. And uh, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that, why they're important to you. And more specifically, uh, the kind of literary communities you are creating at the moment. I know from having conversations with you, um, the 
you know, the publishing lab you recently created, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that, is more interested in doing something that is more focused on community. And I wonder why that is important to you and the kind of work that you're hoping to produce in the coming months. Yes, uh, thank you for that question, Linda. I think in the first place, um, initially, like in Kisumu, which is where I grew up, I used to be in the, even one spoken word was a thing. We had so many of us, <laughs> we used to go that, sometimes in primary school, sometimes whenever there's space to, to practice, to perform for each other. There were like seven people in the audience. All of them are also performing. So it wasn't really an audience. Um, and I think that, that that space was very helpful for me. And um, when I moved to Nairobi, um, there were also some very kind people who made that space for me. And I think particularly if you're an introvert, I think um, spaces where you don't have to say much, but you can kind of sit and feel the vibes. It's always very, is just invaluable. Um, and so as far as community and magic door, Rosie and I, who, Rosie Olang, she's a visual artist and a writer as well. Stuff that's been very important to us is making only collaborative work. So um, Dinda herself knows, like we made, she's got credits on some of our letter writing kits that we just made. Everything that we're trying to do, including um, these little hyper-local mini books that we're working on are all in collaboration. So there's never gonna be one name on a book or one name on a project. And the idea for that is one, importantly, collaboration, a community that transcends beyond a subgenre. So not just only poets hang out together, only playwrights hang out together. It's writers and painters and photographers and dancers all in one space and hopefully starting to make work together. Um, so one of the projects I'm excited about now is the choreographer who's trying to do poetry and try to, trying to match him up with a filmmaker and play around with what that could look like. So centrally, work that's exciting to me and I think to us, I can speak for Rosie here, Under Magic Door is basically, like I was trying to uh, tell someone, tr trying to turn a literary or an arts party into, into a product that people can all consume who might not get that invite or are not uh, at the moment in that community. Thank you. I'm very excited to see, you know, what you guys come, you know, I'm following this journey and I'm very excited to see what you guys come up with. Uh, so I'm paying attention. Uh, Zuki, so you have a lot of uh, comments here and questions. I think com comments, yes. Uh, somebody wants to know uh, whether there's a WhatsApp group in the offing, uh, at least for beginners, they would love to join. Uh, so I'll throw it your way. <laughs> and... Um, I think you will have to decide who gets the book. There's a lot of people interested. Uh, McKenna Francis Omogo says, I agree, McKenna, please do a reprint. We can't find your book anywhere. I mean, at this rate, I will even take an old copy that is somewhere in your house. Do you have an old copy in your house? I don't because I gave all those ones. I'm just looking here towards my um, bookshelf. I don't, um, but that's an interest. The whole, how do I put this? I think when I, there's, how does one put this in a way that it's like, okay, I struggle with that because um, I, when I did the self-publishing, I'd already um, sent it out to a bunch of different um, agents that didn't work out. And um, I'm just, I don't know what to say. Like, hopefully it comes back out again. I'm sorry if it's not a good enough answer. I don't know how to explain it. It's just that there's, 
um, a lot that goes into self-publishing that I'm not so sure I'm keen on doing myself. And that's why I had looked for a publisher so that they could do that work. And there's a whole conversation about what a publisher does versus self-publishing and why and all those things. Um, but the decision I made for myself was it wasn't something I was I wanted to keep doing. And I'm still looking for a publisher. So if anyone out there knows a publisher who'd be interested in my book, please. I also want it out there. So, Makena, not to put you in a tight position, but I have it on good authority that Prestige was interested in um, reissuing your book. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That is a very tight position. You put me on Zukiswa. Um, what can I tell you? It wasn't a, uh, an offer that made sense for me. It oh. wasn't. Um, and again, I don't know if we're going to get into a conversation a bit later on about the whole publishing process, and maybe I can talk a bit more without sharing too much about I mean, that. About yeah, we can talk about that right now, because I think we've already oh, okay. moved. To, yeah, we can talk. I, I have one more question about communities, but we can talk about publishing right now. Uh, I'm, I was curious about your decision to uh, self-publish, and I'm very, you know, like somebody commented something about your vulnerability. I really appreciate that because publishing is really, it's, it's hard, you know. Uh, a lot of us haven't really published any book, and I, I'm, I'm happy you're sharing this, but Zukiso was wondering why you decided not to take this offer, why it didn't work for you. When one is considering, like, a publishing deal, like, this is what I'm assuming. I'm sure everyone has their own, what they're looking at. Um, we work really hard to write the books that we write. We work for many years and we want to work with um, a partner who we feel is a right fit for the book. So they could be an amazing publishing house, but for another book. And then in the process of um, just having those conversations of figuring out, um, you know, how they want to, approach the editing or how they want to approach the marketing or what the company's vision is, especially when it's a new publishing house, you might just end up having, wanting completely different things. And so um, in that conversation, that's pretty much what happened. Um, and so I think what people don't realize is that like you could want to get published, but more than that, you want a deal that makes you feel like it honors how much work you've put into what you're doing. I just didn't feel that about the deal. And so I'd rather keep my rights and hope for um, a partner who appreciates that. Again, they could be perfectly right for someone else. It just wasn't for me. Um, yes. Thank you, McKenna. So I don't know if McKenna answered your question. Um, okay. You answered perfectly, but, but I also then wanted, part of the reason why I asked that question was just so that I throw it out there um to the people who are listening that there is i know that they are like jahazi press for instance is publishing and stuff because people so often say they aren't what you call it and and i know they they they've got the rights for for yvonne and they've got the rights for um for somebody else so I, I i wanted to put it out there um but perhaps beyond that just to highlight that um a lot of people tend and Peter Kimani, yes, they were. And, but beyond that, I also wanted to highlight that perhaps the other thing is maybe just to look beyond Kenya because, and, and I say this also to like, when I'm doing workshops with South Africans and when I'm doing workshops with Nigerians, like just look beyond your borders when you're looking for publishers, you know? Um, 
because there are a lot of there are a lot of publishers that are that are interested that are exciting you know across the continent um and um i know for a fact well i have i have i have published i'm publishing yara montero you know who is an angolan writer and um i know you know uh writers who've been published tandem kolozana has been published by bibi bakare in nigeria and and, and so maybe and 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 Natasha Mokorian has been published by um, Blackbird in South Africa. So look, look beyond your borders, and it makes it it makes it so much easier. Just the continent is your oyster. And I mean, we have Alexis here who started yeah. Magic Door. You know, yeah. uh, so I, I stand in the um, yeah. sorry, the microphone background noise. Part of the work around Magic Door is a little bit of this uh, collation. I hopefully my internet holds. Um, so one of the things we did is like a cultural directory that we've been working on. Happy to invite people to co-edit that. So. Uh, there are loads of publishers on that list so it's worth taking a look at that list i'll share it will circulate through meta um that is helpful a good place to start because i think sometimes i used to get that like look everywhere and sometimes if you're in a community of writers it's easier for you to find a connection but if you're not um if you're not yet fully plugged in you might feel a bit um overwhelmed and the internet is not as easy to wade through as we would hopes hoped so yes there's magic tour but importantly as as Zukisa said there's loads of other publishers that might be interested in your work and happy to share that list afterwards Yeah, and Faith uh, Faith Zama is reminding us of Bookbanks who recently published uh, the Havoc of Choice. Yeah, 10's Havoc of Choice. So there's, you know, uh, there's a lot of people you can talk to and yeah. Um uh, you kind of touched a little bit about this, but I wonder if you there's a lot of questions about publishing and where does one begin? Uh I know you've worked with mainstream publishing as well and I wonder how that experience was for you. You know what kind of hurdles did you what kind of hoops did you have to jump through? Uh, where did you begin? Uh how was the journey for you? And more importantly, what do you think has changed since you started working with mainstream publishing? What has changed? Uh-huh. Well, to start with, I've been in the industry for 15 years because this is now 15 years old. So, to start with, um, you know, when 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 I got on the scene, there was a much smaller literary community continentally, you know. And we that was 2006, we didn't have the benefit of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and bookstagrammers and uh, you know, um bloggers who blogged literature and so forth and so on so there wasn't that and pretty much it was like when i think about the people who were in the scene at that time it was like ningplong or um lola wasn't even on the scene at that time you know um there was chimamanda there was uh binge um it was there was helena bella it was a very very small community you know but um mainstream publishing like i when i wrote my first manuscript i didn't think of it as a book at that time i just thought that there's an old man who was a friend who said oh by the way um do you you know he i used to write him we used to have exchanges all the time and he said to me was an old writer um he's late now louis corsi and he said to me you should you should write fiction and i said ah I'm too much of a realist to write fiction and he's like that's bullshit so of course I like the challenge so I kind of like started writing something and it was really a subversion of an old advert in South Africa 
where the whites, um, where the white people are, are the ones who are poor and the rich people are the ones who are, you know, who are, the black people are the ones who are rich and, uh, you know, and the white people are the ones being harassed by the police and da 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 And so in this, you know, with the madams, then I decided that I was going to have a black woman with a, with, a, with a white domestic worker, but in very contemporary settings. And of course, as I was writing it, it just then, you know, went its own way because it started being about friendships between women, sisterhood in contemporary society and whether it's like much more difficult for us, you know, because they're undemarcated gender roles and stuff and everything. And, um, and so when I finished it, I sent it to another old guy who I knew was in retirement and so had time to indulge myself. <laughs> And he generously uh, read and gave me a list of um, five publishers and said to him, you know, he made some suggestions, some editorial suggestions. And he said, when you've done the edits, send, send to these five publishers. So I sent them to the five publishers. Three of them accepted it. Um, two of them have been regretting ever since. And um, yeah, and then I selected White Thoughts worked with me. And um, so I was lucky in that way because then I didn't have to pay somebody money to do the editing. I didn't have pay, to pay somebody money to do the cover design. I didn't have to pay somebody money to do the proofreading, all which are very important steps in, 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 in publishing a book. You know, uh, I didn't have to pay somebody to do the marketing, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and so that was that to me was was very was an easy thing and a beautiful thing for for me to experience. And um, you know, fifteen years later, I still I I've got all my rights of my my my, my novels now uh, and even my nonfiction, you know. But uh, I never ever self publish for a first for a first book, you know, for for the first for the first issue of a book. And the reason I don't do that is because firstly, I know if I were to pay somebody to be my, firstly, I can't edit myself, although I'm an editor. But secondly, if I were to pay somebody to edit me, you know, I suspect because I'm Zubi Savannah, I might get into a space where somebody will not push as much as, as they should. Whereas with a mainstream publisher, they'll align me and assign me with a publisher that, I fight back with. And that to me is very important. I always think that, you know, in order for um, the, the one book that I wrote that I don't really like that much is the one where I didn't have an editor who pushed on me. So I always say my relationship with editors is I always respect a, an editor who I hate during the editorial process, but absolutely adore, you know, when the product comes out. And so I can, for instance, with, with the madams and with behind of success, um, with, with men of the South and with London Cape Town Joburg, I can safely say like, I'll always be telling people Jackie Lange, you know? And, and if I can get her to do my, my editing, I usually ask that I have her. So yeah, there are things that in self-publishing that too often, you know, um, get lost <laughs> with, with mainstream. Yeah, thank you so much, Zakisha. And because you mentioned self-publishing, and I think we have a question here 
on uh, self-publishing and I want to throw it back to McKenna. Uh, somebody is asking, so good to hear you all. Can someone kindly talk about publishing and especially steps to self-publish, pros and cons? Thank you. Uh, I think McKenna, you kind of, men you, you touched a little bit about that, uh, but like Zukiso, you know, who's shared uh, experience publishing with mainstream, uh, you know, publishing houses. I wonder if you could talk to us about the process uh, and sorry if you're repeating yourself, but just so people can kind of, you know, those who are interested in self-publishing can, you know, what, know where to start if they're interested in such a thing. Okay, um, so self-publishing, um, I'll start with the, how the process, then go into the pros and cons. So um, after the book is done, um, as the kids were mentioned, having a good editor is so important, which is really difficult to get um, when someone is uh, self-publishing. Um, but yeah, where possible, like you shouldn't just write this book like in a silo and then send it out because we just become so blind about the things we write, right? Like we stop seeing even super simple um, miss like issues with like um, character progression or narrative progression. We literally are unable to see them. So investing in that is so important at the beginning. And then there's so many now um, platforms where you can self-publish. There's the um, Amazon one. I used one called Tableau, which was um, an Australian company, but they just print in different, um, uh, they print at the printing house closest to wherever the book has been ordered. And the idea behind that was just to make it available in bookshops all around the world um, without necessarily investing in um, printing large amounts of the book. Um, but it was super expensive for Kenya, so I don't think I'd, um, it, I would recommend it for any Kenyan uh, uh, person. But also with Kenya, there's so many amazing printers now that are coming up in the country. There's also India. So again, it's a case of just like looking at who else is self-publishing to try and get a contact with um, a potential printer. Then there's a whole process around... Um, um, getting it ready for print and you might work with someone else who's going to format the book and design the cover or you might do it yourself on Canva or any one of these apps. Again, there's an app for everything, but the thing with doing it yourself is that you just miss that element of like um, uh, just that finesse, right, of um, when you work with a bunch of different people. Again, having said that, you said Daily Ward self-published Bone and Bone was a masterpiece from day one. So... I don't know. And then the pros are um, that you're not waiting for a gatekeeper in mainstream publishing to say that you can write or you're not waiting for them to open you up to your audience. Um, and that's amazing, especially because publishing, as it is traditional publishing, the way it's set up, it's a business, right? And they're going to look for um, um, stories that they think sell. So it's rare for, I mean, we're getting a lot more indie publish, indie presses taking risks on authors or stories that bigger publishing houses wouldn't necessarily touch. But a lot of the time, especially for um, African stories that don't fit a narrative that mainstream publishing wants to publish, you have to believe in yourself before they believe in you. And so that's one huge pro. And the thing is, if people like what you're writing, they like what you're writing, and that's that, right? Um, another pro is that you technically, per book, earn more, but because you're not 
you don't have the publishing, um, the, the force of a publishing house. And that means like it's distribution network, it's marketing team. You just don't, you rarely sell as, much, as many. You're going to hear stories about like The Martian by Andy Weir that sold, like was super popular before it got mainstream publishing. But that's just rarely the case. And it's just a good thing to know like what the reality is going into self-publishing. Um, so I'm kind of doing the pros and the cons together at the same time. And it's also a business because you're not just writing the book, you're also in charge of the printing, the distribution, the marketing, and you have to keep account of all of that. Um, it can cost a lot of money. Um, if you're writing whilst having a full-time job, it can be really difficult. Having said that, there are people who, I mean, I'm so excited to see how guys are, what platforms people are using to sort of self-publish um, their stories, whether that's using Twitter and you're getting people from Twitter getting noticed. Um, like, um, I know Elsa Majimbo is comedy, but Twitter is a form of self-publishing, if you kind of go with me on this. And we've seen how putting out her own content has led to her getting um, noticed by a bunch of different um, uh, production companies, people. So that's also that it doesn't have to be like a traditional book situation or like, um, yeah, it could be a podcast. It could be, I mean, back to the Tumblr, how West Centura began, honestly, like there people are hungry for amazing stories. So it's there, it's possible. And if you have a great mindset around it and that's what you want, great. But if it's also not what you want and you want to go the traditional marketing route, you can also want that and, and and so long as you know why you want that that's also great all options are great i mean whatever works for you right uh yeah. and I, i'm i'm curious if you would if this is a direction you would take like would you self-publish a second book given uh your experience with south b's finest i've just finished writing my second book uh and Yes, well, I finished in December. Uh, it's after submission. So that answer is no, because I don't want to go through that experience again. It was amazing. First, the thing that was amazing was Kenyon's response to the book. Like, getting that, the feedback, because I was in the middle of writing the second book, that's what, like, really helped me with the second, like, just be like, because I, I felt so down. I felt so low about not getting the publishing deal with the first book. And even... So just getting that feedback, um, the good, the negative criticism that was also good was so helpful, but no, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, we have a question from Joyce Nairo and uh, I want to uh, throw this to uh, Zukiswa and Alexis. Uh, what constraints do publishers work with and how do these translate into bottlenecks that begin to define the product and the writer. Uh, and that question has a follow-up. Uh, are those constraints the reason why so many writers published by mainstream publishers ultimately morph into publishers themselves? Alexis, do you wanna go first? Yeah, um, I'll start with the context. The context for us, like Rosie and I, Rosalina Lang and I, for Magic Door is one, you know, Africa's share of create, the creative economy is 1%. That's obscene given our population size. I mean, that's grown a little bit in the last few years since that data came out, but not by much, which is embarrassing because the worth of that 
economy is in the hundreds of billions. So that's absurd that we only have 1%. That said, there's a reason for that. And the reason we can, you know, we can analyze and cut that in different ways. But I will say, so that's insight, but, you know, paired with the fact, like McKenna said, as an artist, it's almost like you have to be an entrepreneur all at once. You're a publisher, you're a marketer, you're dealing with your own career development, your craft, while also trying somehow to build a community that will buy your book. And I do begin to resent that idea. I mean, one, because I'm not on social media, but two, because it requires artists to become, uh, it's almost like a popularity contest, which I think becomes unfair depending on your personality and skill, if that is the case. For you to get popular in a micro community like Twitter or, or Tumblr, for you to get a deal, I think that that is absurd and a bit unfair. But why publishers do that and rely on that is because they need a shorthand to understand which book will sell on this continent. And that's a story you will get. I think I have so many people have told me the publisher said it was a great book, but they just don't know how they'll sell it. <sighs> irritates me but that's fair because publishing is a business and this is why they think of it like that one i just don't have enough information on how consumption works on this continent which is silly because uh like for instance a publisher would have said no to mckenna's book but we've seen that there's demand for it there's interest for it so clearly the instruments and the the decision making tools they're using are wonky for the way we consume and define quality content but secondly it's because to me what really drives up the cost here is distribution so for us even for magic door right now we're only doing projects in kenya so if you're international you pay for a stranger in Kenya to afford our products, which I think is good. Not everyone can afford these products. You can sponsor someone to get that access. However, the case is because books are still seen as luxury items or even as like, um, what do you call them? NGOs call them, what do I call it? Like vice items, almost like tobacco and alcohol. So the exportation fees are ridiculous. Can you imagine how absurd that is? A book and drugs are on the same level. I mean, yes, they're addictive, but please stop that. So that affects how we can like ship to countries. It affects how, even once we get in country, how do we get a book from here to Marsabit? How do we get that book? So right now we're working with like shuttle systems, trying to work around that. But the fact is logistics continues to be our biggest issue. Even that, I find it an artificial issue still. If Safaricom can get their Ampesa shop there, if Coke will sell you a Coke without, there's no fridge, but there's, warm Fanta, there's something fundamentally amiss about how that distribution works. So yes, there are distribution companies. So they're like ABC Books and they do that print on demand like you're describing McKenna. They say, if you're in here, we'll print here. But that restricts the consumption to capitals only because it's convenient for them. So you'll only find your book in Lagos. Too bad for you if you live anywhere else. That's your problem. Your aunts and uncles cannot read your book. Too bad. So that distribution really affects the cost. And I, I give this as an example to show how with that profit imperative, publishers have to make certain decisions. So if we think this book will sell here, we either use our arm that's based you know, in South Africa to get it out with the assumption that they have a better understanding of what it means to be a Togolese person, which anyway. And then based on that, we make certain assumptions of how many copies we can sell and that affects how much we pay writers. So you will hear, everyone loves to say the story of millions of dollars in advance. My friends, that's very rare. Not everyone is going to be home going. And you'll notice the books that become homegoing and et cetera, often diaspora stories. And I'll tell you why, because most publishers that have that amount of money to do that output are often foreign. So they want something that, that applies as it were, is relatable to their audience. So you and your country is not the audience of choice. Oh, we lost her. Zukiso, do you have something to add? Okay, I can't, I can't talk for a whole lot of people um, on why I, went into publishing, but I can certainly 
uh, talk for, you know, myself and um, my two friends, uh, Tanu Polozana in South Africa and um, Lola Shonayin in Nigeria. And uh, part of the reason was we saw certain things that we were not happy with uh, during the publishing process. And one of those has to do with the fact that, um, you know, some of us, like, for instance, I've read some really good books. Linda, you remember when we were in, um, in Port Harcourt and uh, we met, uh, what's his face? We met um, uh, Chimeka Garrix. Oh, you know? yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we met Chimeka Garrix and, and Chimeka is a lawyer and he used to, he used to take us like, you know, uh, drinking and hanging out and stuff and everything. But Chimeka is actually a really brilliant writer. And I had, I read his book and I was like, I don't understand why not more people know Chimeka's book, you know? And so for that reason, I remember, I remember talking to him and I'm saying, listen, I love Tomorrow Died Yesterday. Um, it could do with some editing. I'd love to get the rights for Eastern Southern Africa. So, you know, so we're still in discussions regarding that, but it's, it's like, there's so many, as, as, as Alex said, that there are a lot of, a lot of writers who, you know, um, get acknowledged on account of the fact that maybe they have a bit of visibility and, 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 and such, you know, um, I mean, I personally have got into a space where I was um, facilitating uh, a discussion with two writers at a literary festival and, and, and somebody came and they said, you facilitated that very well. And I said, thank you. And they said, are you, uh, so do you also write? And I said, I like reading, you know, but um, so there is like a lack of, a lack of engagement. And um, so, so I like, I like the idea. Part of the reason why I got into publishing was because I wanted to, get like all these exciting books. And that's part of the reason really why uh, one of the first books that I published is Mkoma Wangugis with a Scar, which was initially published in the US as Mrs. Show, you know? I read it and I was like, my God, this is, as far as I'm concerned, Mkoma's best book, but I don't understand why not more people know about it. And so of course, in uh, working it out, one of the things I was like, okay, you know, to start with, why would anybody want to read a book called Mrs. Shaw in a country where somebody like Patrick Shaw existed or on this continent for that matter, you know, by a black writer, why, you know, by an African writer. So of course, um, you know, uh, the main character has, has post uh, P PTSD from um, being tortured by the dictatorship, which may be more Yomgabe or, you know, a bacha or any African leader of, you know, who was like that. And, 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 so, and, and, and so this guy has, you know, he has PTSD and he, he scratches himself and he wakes up and he's got all these scars on his body. And, uh, but I also started thinking about us, the book in relation to us, the readers, as Africans as well. And, and, and how, you know, we're also really scarred by our governments. We're scarred by what we encounter and stuff. And, and so I said to Mkoma, how about we call it? And he was like, yeah, that's great. So we did that. And um, yeah, and it's, a, and it's a very African story. And, and that's part of the reason why I got into, into publishing. And I was, I was glad he said yes. And I was glad that 
Ohio University Press um, sold me the rights, you know. Um, yeah, so that's, that's largely why I do it. I do it to, to get the books that I know I have enjoyed, get the writing that I know I've enjoyed published, but that, you know, some white person in the UK or US may decide, um, you know, ah, no, this is too African and I, or this is not African enough. And I've had that with, 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 with London Cape Town Joburg. I had a British publisher who told me that my book wasn't African enough. I don't know what the hell that means because, <laughs> yeah, anyway. So, yeah. So that's, that's why I got into publishing. I think I've rambled on quite a bit. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate the work you and Alex are doing to create the spaces that haven't necessarily been available to you. Um, uh, this, I mean, that kind of generosity, it's really, we appreciate it. And I'm sure I speak for a lot of writers when I say that. Uh, Alex, we lost you there for a minute. I don't know if you had concluded or if there's something that you wanted to add to what you were saying. Sorry, we lost you there. I know you said power went off. It's yes, the Nairobi life. I think I wanted to yeah, struggle bus. Um, I think I wanted to say that um, I'm more excited for a lot more publishers to start publishing new work. So I think for Rosie and I, our commitment, of course, is to publish more women, more non-binary people, more queer folks. I think that's very important to us. Um, and so one, just publishing way, like beyond the mold, whatever that looks like. Um, but then second, a lot of restitution. Rosie and I are, a lot, are really interested in historical work and archiving. So really upending that canon from that list of, you know, women writers that I, I'll also share. Honestly, very few of those books are available now in print. They've gone out of print and it's really hard to find, no matter how hard you dig, there'll be in some, some white American library somewhere, um, which is kind of a shame. So on two ends, one, changing what, who gets to be published now. And then secondly, starting to do a lot of restitution and restoration of older work. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you. Um, uh, there's one more question. Um, if you have, I think we have time for maybe two more questions. Uh, so please feel free to type them in the Q and A um, section. Um, why don't we, Marcia is asking, Marcia Tisa asks, why don't we have amazing kids books in Kenya like we do in other countries? For example, illustrations in Kenya, not as vibrant. Mm -hmm. What could be a limiting factor? Uh, the, do we have children book others who have specialized in the field? I want to meet a couple of them. I don't know who wants to volunteer to answer this question. Please. I'm actually happy to answer that um, because Great, in addition, I have written children's books, um, which are available in Kenya. Um, but I've also published uh, an anthology of children's books. Um, uh, I think Prestige Books has the English version this is the Tosa version and I am still working on getting the Kiswahili version done because I just want children beyond those who are like Barbies and speak English to be able to access good stories as well you know so um so translation is a very big thing for me with with children's <laughs> stories and it's a very big thing for me with adult stories but with adult stories my translation tends to be more across the colonial linguistic borders, French, English, and Portuguese. And that's the reason why I'm publishing an Angolan writer. Um, but yeah, uh, they, they are available. And uh, I saw somebody had asked about 
about um, uh, you know graphics and stuff in books and stuff. You know, I'm a, I'm a bit wary. And, 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 and perhaps this is just me. I'm a bit wary of us getting into spaces where we just say, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work with, you know, I mean, if you want to work with Kenyan, Kenyan, Kenyan writers, then it's great. If you want to work with Kenyan illustrators, then that's great. But I personally, with my work, I like to think about, you know, how can we, we had nothing to do with the borders. We had nothing to do with the, with the, with the Berlin colonial borders. And so if I find somebody in, in TZ who does really amazing work, I'm not sure why I should be stuck to working with just a South African, you know? Or if I find a Kenyan or if I find a Nigerian and stuff and everything. So uh, made an essay is because he wants the books to, uh, people to see his illustrations. So he's ordered books and now he's selling my work and I didn't have a market in Namibia. So when you think like that and, and, and look beyond your borders, then sometimes it's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Zakiswa. Uh, and uh, just before, uh, there's one more question that's directed to you uh, by Rita Karuku, who's asking, I had a question for Zakiswa. I'm currently writing, but I have stopped because apparently I don't know if I want it to be a book or an article. How do I solve the mystery? Okay. Uh, I think that one sometimes just leaves, if, if, if you haven't, you know, when you're writing, the book kind of writes itself. The story kind of writes itself. When you have finished whatever it is you have to say, you'll see. Is it an article? Is it is it something bigger? Is it is it a fifteen thousand word piece? That's you know, um, or is it something something? Is it like book length? Is it like 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 words? You know. Uh, so I think you yourself, your creative process, and sometimes. The story is not ready. So sometimes just, just leave it, let it park and then revisit it if there's something more that you need to say about it, you know? Yeah, I like that. I think sometimes stories tell, that, tell us what they need, you know. You can't, you can't really decide what they are going to be. They'll tell you. Uh, thanks for that, Zakiso. Uh, and there's one more question here, and I'd like to, you know, because uh, the three of you have published works in, uh, you know, self-published, you know, you've published with mainstream media, and uh, you've, you know, had people write about your books or review them. Um, uh, one question here you can engage with. Um, could you talk about critics in the Kenyan literary space? This is by Anonymous attendee. Could you talk about critics in the Kenyan literary scene? Wonder what you all think. Do we have enough? Do we need more? And thanks for a wonderful discussion. Uh, does anybody want to volunteer and say something about critics in the Kenyan literary space? Uh, Alexis? Yeah, happy to. I think... Critics, of course, are part of a healthy literary cultural ecosystem. And by critics, I also include folks who review art, who review film. Um, I think we need more of all of, all of the above. And I'd say, to be fair, one, we, we need to start paying more of them. Because I think even bookstagrammers, they do it because they enjoy it, but it's work. It's labor to fully and honestly engage with someone's work. And to write something in response is also a work of creation. So um, if you are in control of any budgets anywhere, you know, let's make some more space to have. You're putting up an exhibition, put some money aside also to have a reviewer do paid work for that. If you're putting out a book um, as a publisher, also start to account for that. Uh, so one, let's put some money aside. But I think secondly, 
and a lot of people have been writing over the last two years on the, the changing nature of criticism in an age of social media, where it almost seems you can only write positive work publicly. Um, given there's so much work, you only want to write good things, otherwise don't say anything at all. Um, I think there's a lot of space for negative, and negative is not the word, productive, constructive criticism, even a positive review. Um, it would just be flattery and dishonest flattery if it doesn't include, and this is where you can change or work on, and this would have been excited to see more of. So um, to do that, I'm excited that there are a lot more spaces, journals um, starting up to allow for that work. But still, so far, the emphasis is on fiction and poetry and very little on criticism or interviews and nonfiction. So I'm keen to see a little bit more of that in the next, in the next few years, yes. Yeah, I'd love to see more of that. I'd love to see more criticism on poetry and nonfiction as well. Uh, Zukiso, do you have something to say about uh, literary critics in the Kenyan space? I think somebody needs to shake up the book's pages in, in the nation Saturday. That's all. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, seriously, like, we can't be having googing, 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 no, googing all that's the true. time, I'm so tired guys. Of it. I'm so tired you know? of it. Uh, it doesn't blow the literary community, you know. Let's 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 have new names. Yeah. We need new names, you know. But age, um, fam. But anyway, there is. I think I think um, a lot of a lot of a lot of people confuse fawning over 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 work to um, being literary criticism. You know, I'll tell you that I have actually personally learned more and become a better writer from negative literary criticism than I have um, from the gushing, you know, which is not to say that the negative literary criticism doesn't hurt the author. So please also be gentle, you know. Um, I think sometimes people think it's being critical and then they get personal. So understand the difference between being critical about the work and being critical about the person because ultimately the person, so tell me, you know, uh, you weren't convinced with a narrative voice, it didn't work, this and that and stuff and everything, all the things that make up um, a good story, you know, but, but, but don't, don't, don't go personal about, about my personal life. That's, that's all. So I think, I think, a good story generally, a good a, a good literary criticism generally focuses on the works. Yeah, I agree with you. I think yeah. a lot of times we are very quick to kind of, you know, it's as if we come with a list of like, this is what an African book is supposed to do. And then we're ticking off and we rarely do engage with the work that is in our hands, which, you know, it's quite unfortunate. And I hope uh, literary critics can engage more with work and just you know, leave the sideshows alone. They're quite boring. Uh, McKenna, I don't know you, if you have something to say about literary critics, uh, you know, from your experience with your first book. Uh, do you think, you know, we need to do better? Do we have enough? Uh, um, I feel like I don't have anything to add just because uh, uh, pretty much everything I was thinking about has been said. There's no, I don't think we ever get to a place where we're like, okay, that's enough, no more literary criticism. Like, you know, that's a cutoff point. I was so um, like grateful to get that from people. Like, as Alexis was saying, it's so much work and seeing people put in that work to write in such an insightful way about my book and make me see things I hadn't seen 
or um, the, both the positive and the constructive criticism, it was, there's one I remember by a writer called um, Lutivini Majanda, I think, and I'm um, sorry if I've said anymore, but it was, I think that was like one of the first that I read, because um, I'm not on social media or anything, so I kind of just get them sent to me, and that, which is amazing. Um, and I was in awe. I was in awe. Like, that is so much work. That someone, not only, because I read a ton of books, but I never think, well, let me sit down and, like, you know, talk about it. So it's an art form. And, yeah. Thank you. Uh, we have, uh, I think, three minutes before uh, we close this session. And I want to, uh, there's a lot of questions we haven't been able to get to. I apologize for that. Uh, we just don't have enough time. But there's one that I would love us to maybe to close the session with. What are all of you guys reading? What is on your bedside table? I'm also very interested to hear, you know, what you guys are reading. Degwa Nguru is asking what you are Azukisa, do you want to go first? What are you reading? I'm actually revisiting on Jackie's Transparent City uh, because I have him... Um, oh, exciting news, by the way. Um, I managed to get an audible deal on the back of... So we'll have more African stories coming up from summer. So, yeah, um, we have that. So that's fantastic. That's something to look forward to for people who prefer listening to their books than reading them. Or, or their stories, rather, because it's, it's Afro-lit shorts and it's going to be six short stories, six writers. So part of the reason why I have, uh, I'm, I'm revisiting Transparent City is because Onjaki is one of the writers that I'll have in that. But yeah, so Transparent City, Onjaki. So I've been reading A Gift at Ocean Bong kind of slowly again, gently. I just finished Normal People, which I really enjoyed. I had not read it since it came out ages ago by Sally Rooney. Um, I'm trying to read Old Drift again, um, Namwali, also very slowly. That's why I'm reading so many books at the same time. Um, and then I've been trying to read, like, go back to old, um, like, Joburg Review, a few of their old issues, Saraba, uh, Jalada, I've been reading, I've been having a conversation with someone who's also about Jalada way back. So I've been reading all of them really slowly it's kind of great to see most of those books are still writing and publishing so i've been enjoying those anthologies online and then the, the two books um physical copies thank you i really enjoyed sally me too but Faith is oh i forgot i just finished bernadine finally oh my gosh sorry i just had to say that girl woman other i know everyone loved it and i was very late to the to the train but yes just wanted to say that was lovely <laughs> Thank you. Uh, McKenna, what are you um, reading? So I just finished Transcendent Kingdom and it was beautiful. I read it in, like, yeah, I read really slowly, but that was one of the ones where I couldn't put it down. Um, it was, brought me lots of flashbacks of my Protestant upbringing. I mean, it was so interesting just to realize that, like, yeah, Alabama, Nairobi, we all had the same. It's like our parents all, like, well, not necessarily, but just like generally, like we, the things that we were taught were so similar, um, whether like there's a scene or something, I'm sorry, I'm really going into it about where they, they have a sex talk, but no one actually says anything about sex. And I was like, oh my God, this is literally how we did like, you know, how they did sex talk in church or whatever. Um, and then now I've just started, last night I started a brief, a brief history of seven killings um by marlon james 
but um i don't know if i'm going to continue i don't know if anyone else is like this but like um you just need to be in the space for the book and it's it's like it's beautifully written it won the man book of rights but then it's a bit gory it's a bit like lots of things that are trigger one it's a lot gory mckenna i've tried to read that book like four times and today okay. i haven't finished Thank you. I'm not I, alone. <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes you have to be in the space for a particular kind of book, you know. Sometimes, you know, maybe another time you'll, you know, read it and it will be a completely different experience. So, I'm a big believer in that, you know. Uh thank you everybody. Thank you so much for making time. For more of these episodes, you can subscribe to our podcast channel on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform of your choice. To stay in touch with us follow us on Twitter and Facebook at @weareMetaNBO or email us on nairobi@meta.co until next time thanks for listening